Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, I love being called Nene. That is so sweet. So, yes, that's just what my family calls me. Feel free anytime you want. All right. Hey, I uh, want to welcome you all today. It's been fun already, has it not? Has it been a good time? Okay, good. Uh, I hope that we get to have some more fun here. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them to, the, to 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. Three chapters. I'm going to go word by word, verse by verse. Nine hours of intense, in-depth. Preaching. So, yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to look at the life of a man named Elijah uh, this morning. But I do want to let you all know that uh, if you are new with us here, I just hope that uh, amidst all of the, the, the wildness, you know that you're loved by God wildly. Um, and so we just want to welcome you all. And this is the best place um, to, uh, uh, to, to not have to put on your Sunday best and just come as you are. Uh, and so I hope that, uh, that you felt that today, and I hope God continues to reveal his heart in that way uh, to you. But we're going to open the scriptures here. Put your finger in First uh, uh, Kings chapter 17. Um, and uh, let me start out. I want to tell you this uh, little story. A few days ago, I was at home. I have a, a little uh, place where I study uh, at, in a home office at my house. Um, and uh, I've got lots of windows, and then I've got a door right next to my desk that is kind of like one big window. And out on the front step of that door at my home uh, study, um, this, this uh, kitty cat came and visited me, all right? Uh, I'm a dog guy. I'm not a cat guy. Uh, I've always felt there's something demonic about kitty cats. I don't know what it is. But you, you can be petting them for one minute, and if you look them in the eyes, you know they're plotting against you in some way. Like, I, uh, I've, seen, I've seen wild things happen. Uh, I think the big cats are fun, like tigers and stuff, and I wish that I was like Princess Jasmine, who had her own tiger. Uh, but, uh, but I don't. The little cats scare me more than the big ones. I don't know why. Uh, but I saw this little cat, and he jumped, uh, he jumped on, on my front step, and so I just watched him for a moment, and what I found out is that this kitty cat was actually hunting some type of prey. I was watching it, and this cat looked like a mountain lion uh, or, 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 or a tiger in the jungle, a, a leopard stalking, a, uh, a lion in the Sahara. I was, it, was, it was crazy. It's this thing that we bring into our house and we think is tame. When it sees prey, it actually goes wild. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen that about kitty cats? You ever seen that? Sometimes they think you're the prey, right? Um, but I was watching this cat, and it jumped into weeds, and it came out with some uh, reptile of some kind. I was like, holy cat. Wow. This is crazy. I remember distinctly that this cat that had just been hunting, using its paws, batting against something, coming out uh, with something, it actually had a red collar on. I started wondering if the owners of this kitty cat know that at heart, in its soul, it's a lion, right? That what it does when it's not purring on the top of the couch is it's hunting its prey. Huh. I was just wondering. I don't, it's not deep theology. I was just wondering that. <laughs> uh, do you know that your cat is actually a, a leopard of the jungle? Not it sounds interesting. 
The reason I'm bringing this up is, is I was looking at this cat with a red collar on, but the reality, was, uh, uh, the, the reality is uh, this cat is wild, and I was thinking about the church, and I've been saying the last few Sundays that at the heart and soul of the body of Christ, that the world and institutions have tried to tame us, but I want to keep ba- uh, banging this drum and calling our attention to the reality that the church is not supposed to be tame. The church is, in fact, supposed to be, look, feel, and act wild. And there's lots of institutions that will try to collar us and put a, uh, put a collar on us and teach us how to blend in. But I believe that one of the breakthrough things that the Holy Spirit is doing in these days is the Holy Spirit is actually taking the collar off the church and saying, you were born to be wild, you were born to take cities, you were born to knock down walls, you were born to pray for sick people, you were born to invade the darkness, you were born to advance the culture of the kingdom of heaven into this fallen craziness that we call life. And the church is supposed to be wild in that department. And so I've got it on my heart that uh, whatever ways you've been taught to be tame, um, that the collar needs to come off. The, the bride of Christ is not supposed to look like sh- she doesn't care. Uh, she's supposed to look like she's in love. Um, this is, a, this is a, a word on my heart uh, this morning. Have you ever seen the, this uh, Christian movie that came out decades ago called Braveheart? Have you ever seen that one? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's lots of, it's just, it's, it's just a, a, basically a bath in peace is what it is. Um, but there's this one scene in the movie that I watched and I almost feel like, like the, the Holy Spirit was stirring my heart as I was remembering it. There's a, a time where William Wallace, this great man in history, he comes into a squabbling room full of, of pastors, I, I mean um, of these uh, leaders, and they're all fighting for their titles and property boundaries, and William Wallace walks in as quick as he comes in, he walks out, and someone says, William Wallace, and I wish I could talk in a Scottish accent, but they say, William Wallace, where are you going? And he's, he says, I'm going to sack York. How are we going to do that? And William said, I'm just going to do that while you squabble. I'm going to go do what you should be doing. You don't exist to make a fortune for yourselves. You exist to give your people freedom. I'm going to sack York. Now, it's very interesting that William Wallace says York of all places. And I think there's a place called York over in the UK, all right? But there's also a place called York that we're in. And I I believe that God brought this to my memory, that God is releasing pioneers, lion-hearted, brave hearts in our day that have removed the collar, that have a new dream, and it's to bring the people of York freedom. So this morning, I... uh, I want to talk about this, uh, one of the secrets to being wild. It's not the only thing, uh, but it's a very important thing that I believe that we need a revival in, and we need to see this again biblically. And so I'm going to tell you the answer to this right from the start, that I really believe that one of the major biblical secrets to being wild is recognizing and releasing pioneers in our midst. Recognizing and releasing pioneers in our midst. Um, I have got a lot to say on this. I do want to get into the scriptures, but what we do is when we find somebody wild in the church, we put a collar on them and we try to leash them 
instead of releasing them. And there's a lot to say on this, but let, let me just, uh, let me just keep, keep kind of pressing in here for a moment because I recognize that uh, I am not a, uh, a, a teacher is not my main gift. I'm a pioneer at heart. Uh, God loves to use me to break walls down and they fall and someone else has to teach how they did. Uh, but I, I uh, permission to be myself this morning and toss things at you that you might have to lick your wounds a little bit when you go home, but you're going to come back stronger for it. Amen? Um, so we, we've got to get to the place where, where we are no longer willing to hide, blend in, read the Bible, and explain away miracles. Um, the, the, the safety of not stepping out in faith cannot be spiritualized uh, any longer. And we've actually positioned ourselves as the church as victims who complain about society rather than warriors who pioneer movements. Um, you know, there's laws out there that say you can't pray in schools, but do you know, I always wonder why we just don't anyway, right? <laughs> why does it have to be legal, my friends? You ever think about that? We make such a big deal. They don't let us pray in schools. Well, how about you advance the kingdom and break the law? I do it when I'm driving all the time, you know, right? So th there's, there's this victim mentality that has got to be legal for me to follow Jesus, and the day's going to come where it's just not, and I'm meeting here anyway. They can drag me to jail. There, there's something in the church that we have to get wild about, too, and stop hiding and start pioneering. And the people in the church that are actually brave enough and courageous enough and anointed enough and gifted enough to do that, we have to stop leashing but releasing into the wild to tame it in a heavenly way. Right? I just heard, do you guys know Sean Foyt? He's a worship leader. He said, I'm going to stop whining about government and I'm going to become a congressman. Oh, oh, what a concept. <laughs> I'm going to stop whining about Hanover, and I'm going to join a council. I'm going to stop whining about the church, and I'm going to start being it. Wow, what a concept here. Guys, we need pioneers in our days that are brave enough to make trails that other people walk on, and your name will be forgotten. People will walk on places that you have been before, and probably very few people will recognize where you have been. But you're not doing it for your your fame and your titles, you're doing it for the name of Jesus. We, the secret to being wild is recognizing pioneers and releasing them. It's huge. I think that God's calling us to take ground. Let's talk about, let's talk about not, not sacking the city of York in the UK, but sacking the, the, the region of York here. I think God's calling us to take ground that's been bound for decades. There's, there's just been, there's, there's so much weirdness and stuff over this area that has become common to us has been like a leash on us. You begin to take it off, though, and people start screaming at you. But God's hand is, is on his people, and he's calling us to operate in levels of courage we never knew that we could possess. You know how you find out that you've got courage? You do something courageous and surprise yourself. I don't have the courage to do that. How do you know that you're not a brave heart? How do you know that you're not a lioness? How do you know? You have to find out. And failure is an option. You just can't stop. He's calling us to believe for the impossible again. 
So I want to begin this conversation talking about uh, what I really believe is not talked about enough in the church, and that is, uh, that's recognizing pioneers. And, here, and here's where I'm going to start, recognizing and releasing pioneers. When we recognize them, when we release them, one of the main things that you have to do is you have to learn how to care for them. Okay? Um, usually the wrecking ball is taken advantage of because it pounds against the wall till it falls. Uh, and then everybody gets excited about a fallen wall, but nobody helps heal the ball who wrecked it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know, understand that concept? And I think in the church, we, we take some of our best, and we love that they knocked down a wall, but we forget that they did after they did. And so we've got a church full of leaders who are broken and abused, unrecognized. Some of you, some of the times this happens uh, as a parent. As a parent, do you ever feel like you're a wrecking ball? Like your kids' very lives, they, they don't even know that they're alive because of you, because you went to Aldi, and uh, you went to the pharmacy, and you went to all these places, and you didn't drive off the road. There you were tempted, you know, taking them to school. You know, you saved them from, you know, stray, uh, stray cats in your neighborhood. Um, you've done all these things, and sometimes it's a thankless place. It is what it is. But listen, parents, your health matters too. And it's not spiritual to grin and bear it, You've got to be healthy or your kids won't. Uh, pastors are warriors. Pastors are warriors. In fact, I, honestly, when you look at the book of Ephesians and you see these five gifts that God pours out on leaders in the church, you got apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Um, pastors are one of those five. And, but we call everybody pastor today. <laughs> because we live in a day where you're not allowed to operate in anything close to supernatural. So you can be an evangelist, but if you're apostolic or prophetic and a gift, we just call you Pastor Bob or whoever you are. But do you know that God's called apostles and prophets to lead the church and pastors to care for the church and teachers to teach the church and, ev and evangelists to build the church? You know that? And pastors shouldn't be wrecking balls, pastors should be the hospital. And so, so the, the church, there's, there's all these leaders that what happens is you got people operating like apostles. An apostle was actually a Roman word that Jesus picked up on. And he started calling his, his disciples apostles because what an apostle did in Rome is whenever Rome would conquer a city or a nation, Rome would send apostles there with a delegation to make the conquered city look like Rome. And so whenever you visit Rome, whether it's, you know, in India or in Rome, Italy itself, it all looks like Rome. An apostle brings the culture, and that's what uh, an apostle does in a New Testament sense of the word, that they're carriers of heaven's culture, and, heaven be and earth becomes to look more like heaven. As a result of them, they wreck the existing culture, and they build a heavenly one. That's what they do. But we don't even recognize that that's what's happening today because we've fallen into a pit of fear-filled theology. We need to care for those who pioneer, warriors, overcomers, hill-takers. And the church has become a place where a person makes the headlines when he falls, but not when he pioneers. We, I could name off a lot of names right now of, of men and women, mostly men, interestingly enough, Men and women, though, who have either left the church or left the faith or killed themselves. And we've, we've created this culture 
where you only matter when you're breaking the rules. We don't see you when you're pioneering. And my hope and my dream and my desire is that we will, Providence will be a place of healing for frontline warriors, frontline pioneers, for apostles, for prophets, as much as anyone else that's broken. It's really cool to take a broken person and see him healed. But what about the person who is pioneering their healing? You can't forget them. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 17 talks about one of these people who is, who is a, a crazy pioneer. His name is Elijah. And there's this snapshot of Elijah's ministry. This isn't all of it, but this is a good bit of it. God calls Elijah to, to be a prophet in a, in a very dark day. I would, I would uh, toss out there that it was at least as dark or possibly darker than the day we're living in. And Elijah was here um, uh, pioneering uh, heaven's move in his day. And, and this, this is a picture, this is, reveals what can happen when you're, when you're powerfully used by God. This shows you how a man or a woman can be powerfully used by God. And then it shows what can also happen uh, when that person is, is in it alone. And so you see here in 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to blitz through some stuff. We see chapter 17 verse 1 that uh, Elijah's, a big part of Elijah's ministry was actually predicting a drought. And this drought went on for three and a half years, predicting a drought. And what happened in the drought is that, that it, was, it was mayhem for the nations. Can you imagine if it didn't rain for three and a half years and we had no water, how crazy it might get? So Elijah's ministry starts out with him pre, uh, predicting a drought. It happened, if we speed up to verse 17 through 24, what happens is this is a story about how Elijah actually raises a widow's son back to life who died as a result of the drought. And he raises the widow's son back to life. How many people would say, wow, <laughs> yo, Elijah, I want you over to my house for some Denny dance. I want to see you do some amazing things in my life. Great. Come on over. He raised the widow's son back to life, advanced the kingdom, showed a widow that God still saw her. And then in, in uh, chapter 18, starting with verse 17, um, Elijah actually confronts a very ungodly king who had the power to take his life, but he stood as a man of courage in, in, the, in the midst of what could have come at him, and he confronts a king named Ahab. If you continue reading, Elijah um, defeats the prophets of Baal and Asherah all at once, hundreds against one. Hundreds of priests of Asherah and prophets of Baal could not stand up to one man set ablaze by Jesus. So what he does is, is Elijah says, listen, I've got an idea. Let's make two offerings. And you cry out to Baal and Asherah. And I'll call out to Yahweh. And whichever one answers with fire, that one's God. Let's stop limping between two opinions. Let's, let's stop saying that everything is true. What's true? Well, we'll find out, Elijah says. And so the prophets of Baal, they dance and they cut themselves and they scream and they cry and Elijah kind of pokes fun at them. They say, scream louder, maybe Baal's in the bathroom. He's got a sense of humor. I really appreciate that in a prophet, you know. Uh, and nothing happens. And then Elijah says, douse my offering in water till it's literally floating. And then he bends down 
and one whispered prayer to God causes fire to come out of heaven and consume the offering and the other one and some standers by. Ow. <laughs> this is rated R, my friends. All right, this is Braveheart-ish. All right? <laughs> oh, you didn't laugh at that. I'm sorry. Um, the, uh, so so the, how many people would say that that Elijah standing against hundreds of priests of Baal and calling on his God. This is a man of courage, right? This is a pioneer of, of, the, of the best kind. First rate pioneer. And you see in chapter 18, verses 41 to 45, um, after this, Elijah goes out and he prays to God through faith, even though his prayer is not being answered. Time after time after time after time, he prays to God to end the drought and send rain. And his servant that's with him keeps coming back. Elijah prays, sends out a servant, comes back, nothing. He prays, sends out a servant, comes back, nothing. Prays, sends out a servant, comes back, nothing. He does not give up. Listen, if you're a pioneer, you don't try once and then it's over. That's what most other people do, but pioneers don't give up. They keep pioneering. Uh, I feel like that's the one thing that's kept me as the pastor of Providence. I just don't give up. When things take longer, I don't give up. When people say th bad things uh, about me, I don't give up. When people leave, I don't give up. When it's hard, I don't give up. When I make him below the poverty line, I don't give up until I'm a millionaire like I am today, all right? And that's a joke, my friends. Come on. Come on. You're sleeping now. But, but you, you don't give up according to your season. You, you, you keep pioneering according to the call. This is, how, this is how pioneers operate. If, if, you, if you easily get impatient, um, God's, you've got room for God to work in you. And so the servant comes back, like, I think it's like the seventh time or something like that, and the servant says, I see a small cloud the size of a man's hand rising above the water. Elijah like, is like, that's it. Tell everybody to run. The heaven's about to rain. So when you get... You don't explain this away. Wait, there's a cloud the size of my hand? That's it. Most of us would need to see that proven, not Elijah. Elijah's like, I was praying, there it is, here it comes. And a drought was, was broken through prayer, the kind of prayer that is uncommon on the earth. And then Elijah meets up with, um, with King Ahab, and he and Ahab move from Mount Carmel to a city named Jezreel together. But here's the amazing thing. Ahab is in a chariot pulled by horses. Elijah is in his sandals running in front of them. Now, I, I, I Googled, I don't know how accurate this is, but I said, hey, Google. It's amazing how much Google knows. So silly. So how far is it from Mount Carmel to biblical Jezreel? Google, I have mine set to pirate voices. That's an easy one, matey. No, I wish I did. I, I don't. It's just some lady screaming at me. But it's about 50 kilometers. That's almost 32 miles. <laughs> Running in front of horses. Uh, guys, listen, listen. This is not a fairy tale. Do you hear this? 
What, what we read in the Bible, there was not a, a special dispensation where these things were allowed by God. This is the revelation of God, his heart and his works. This is how he operates. But the problem is we live in a day, you know what's killing the church is we, we say we believe it, but we don't act like we do. And so here's, here's a man that's running in front of Four horses. And we sit around and complain about, you know, the prices of cheese at Giant. I don't know what's happening to the world. Skim milk is going through the roof. Mmm. What church do you go to? <laughs> I'll make sure I run with Elijah from it. Uh, I don't want, I'd rather not go to church than be a part of that one. Do you hear this? A holy distaste for things that are earthly and not heavenly have to begin to captivate us. So here, here Elijah is, and he's operating in power. He's, he's telling the rain not to come, and it doesn't. He's telling the rain to come, and it does. He's running in front of horses. He's literally calling down fire from heaven. And this is, this is him just being him in the power of God. And we think that all of this powerful ministry, like what should be coming out of Elijah's life is a ton of joy. Elijah, you're being used on the earth by God himself in ways that nobody's ever dreamed of. And let me just stop for a second. Why don't you start dreaming of ways that God could use you that are reminiscent of the Bible itself? There's, there's, there's some advice for you. If the Bible says it, Perhaps dream it. But we think that all of this powerful ministry, that Elijah should be this joyous, victorious, uh, just man of celebration that's, that skips everywhere he goes, that whistles, you know, Disney tunes. That he, he, should, he should look like a Disney princess, just so excited. I was used. I was used. I was used. Come here, tiger. Oh, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world full of dazzling things to see. Uh, you think that, wouldn't you think that that's how it was? But the reality is that as powerfully as he was used, that makes him the enemy's primary target. Do you know this? Hmm. Being used powerfully doesn't, doesn't make you, uh, uh, doesn't give you a Disney life. It actually makes you a target of the enemy. Man, we forget this. The people that are knocking down the walls around us, we forget that they are now on a radar that they never existed on. God, God when God calls men and women to do great things, God's calling them to, a, to holy assignments. That means they're about to step into front lines battle. And you know who the, the enemy doesn't care so much about is, is people that are complaining about CNN and cheese and cats evaluating services from the foyer or from the front or from the middle or from, you know, bedside Baptist with pastor, you know, soft sheets. I hope you got that. <laughs> the enemy's like, they're just, they're doing like, they're, they're wearing the name Christian without living like one. That's, they're fine. <laughs> you know what gets on the enemy's case? is a man or woman of courage that says, I'm taking York. 
with or without you. I, I, don't, I don't care if you and all your armies follow me or not. I've got the God of angel armies calling me to a holy assignment, and he will fight for me. He will fight for me. I'm actually just going to operate in the courage and the calling that he's given me, and in, in stillness and rest, I'm going to operate into the destiny that he has for me, and he will fight for me, and I just want to be available. Do you want me to run in front of horses, Jesus? Okay. You want me to call down fire? All right. Should I pray that it stops raining? You got it. Should I pray that it starts raining seven times? Okay. Whatever you say, you've got a pioneer that's ready to blaze. This, this type of pioneering kind of Christianity, it's like, a, it's like a, an ancient art that we read, but we just, we, we want practical help from this book. We don't want this book to fill us with the power that we have to wield. Just help me out. Help me parent. Help me get a raise. Help me, help me, help me. And he will. Listen. But if you need to raise, pray for one. I believe that God's a God of miracles and he cares about your finances. If, you, if your kids need Jesus, pray for them. I'll join you. Come to the front. We're going to believe that darkness will be broken. I'm not knocking. I'm just saying that there's more power available to us than we operate in. And should the wild, brave-hearted ones decide, decide to actually do something threatening to darkness... Um, that means that's when the battle's going to start. Let me say it this way, that when you threaten darkness, the darkness will try to threaten you. You hear this? You've got to know what you're getting into. If you want to complain about cheese, don't become a pioneer. All right? You don't, <laughs> when you're in the midst of battle and there's arrows flying around your head, I, I promise you cheese is the last thing you're thinking of. So when you threaten the darkness, the darkness will threaten you. And the darkness of the enemy is, is really a temper tantrum because you have to know that he's a defeated foe. He's thrashing about trying to be scary, but his bite is toothless. His roar may be loud, but he has no power to do what's already been done in his son's or daughter's life. Uh, he can make you feel like you belong in the kingdom of darkness, but if you've already, by faith in Jesus Christ, been transferred to the, the kingdom of the Son that the Father loves, that's the kingdom of light. Listen, the devil can only scare you, but unfortunately, often it works. Look at verse 3 here. The first part, it says, well, let me just actually read verse 1. This is Ahab told Jezebel... We could talk about her for a while, man. We could do a seven-month series on this one. <laughs> this is just crazy, all right? There's literally cats in her head, and I'm not joking, all right? Uh, but Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Oh, Elijah is suddenly on my radar. She killed my guy. He killed my guys, she says. And here's her promise to him, so may the gods, lowercase g, do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, she, in a, in a, in a very kind of, she used too many words to say that you're dead. You're dead. 
And what happens to, uh, would, how many of us would say that's scary? Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you had like a, a, a lady who's the, you know, the, the Lord of a nation threaten your life before anybody? I would say maybe there's some room for fear there because don't you realize that pioneers are pioneers, but pioneers are also people? You know that? And they experience stuff too. It's not like they suddenly, uh, pioneers become computers. And they experienced stuff. And Elijah's response was, then he was afraid and he ran for his life. He ran for his life. Wait, Elijah, you ran in front of horses. Why are you running from Jezebel? (laughs) Elijah, you told the rain to stop and it did. Then you told it to start and it did. You called down fire from heaven that consumed all your enemies. Maybe you should do it again. But Elijah, sometimes when somebody attacks you with their words and with, with dark promises... Sometimes it can get in you, and when you don't have somebody around you to help filter that, like Elijah did not, it can cause you to run. I remember the, the first, in the first three months of Providence, uh, we, we started with absolutely uh, no funds, except for a few funds that Christ American Baptist was, was sending us. Just pray, Father, your richest blessings on that church, bring revival and bless them. So I remember we had no money. I remember I did something that was, that was not wise, and I, I, we, we wrote up these flyers, uh, and I put them on my Discover card. <laughs> when you don't make any money, you, you shouldn't use credit, all right? So, but I did, and we printed hundreds of them, and we didn't have the, we didn't have the, the funds to, um, to mail them, so we, we, just a few of us, we were crazy. People saw us come, and we're like, we're starting a church. Ah! We were crazy, and we were putting them on cars under windshield wipers. We, were literally, we didn't know, it was, we found that it was illegal to you know, stick stuff in mailboxes. We're putting on steps, and we're just, we're littering Hanover with them. And I started getting calls of, from people saying, uh, you'll be hearing from my attorney. We're suing you. Don't touch my car again. Ah, I'm not joking. That's how we started out. <laughs> yeah. You're being sued. Wow, well, me and my Discover card are really going to take you down, you dirty Hanoverian. Um, and that was fun. But you, you, want, you want to run when, when people retaliate. When you bring light to dark places, life to dead places, people don't know how to handle that, and it's a threat. But then here's what happens, and uh, as you continue reading verse 3, then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He left a servant there, a pioneer who's running in fear and then wants to be alone is in a dangerous place. Just, no, I just need to be alone. You can't believe a pioneer who wants to be alone because what a pioneer actually needs is Aaron and hers holding up his arms, saying, if you're in the fight, you're stuck with me. That's what a pioneer actually needs. But when a pioneer asks to be alone, there's, there's a list of things that's potentially going on in their life. They say it's better to be alone than with a person who just doesn't get it. This, this servant doesn't get what it is to be a target for darkness, right? And when somebody doesn't get it, have, have you ever felt that you've gone through a tragedy, you've gone through a pain that is maybe un- uncommon, but it is now your reality? And then, have you ever experienced this pain when, when people come and act like they know? Oh, yeah, I've been there. 
actually, no, you haven't. Why did you say that? <laughs> you don't know what it's like to be a fire-breathing pioneer running for us. You don't know. And what makes it worse is, have you ever been around, maybe you've suffered some loss, and then somebody comes to you with the most abused scripture passage in the entire Bible? Listen, get over here. I just want to let you know, you probably never heard this before, that God works all things for the good, for those who love him. And that is when I think biblically it's okay to flip the bird. <laughs> Give him the finger. Just get, off my, get out of my house. Get out of my house. We do have the ability to edit, correct, Chris? Is that a, yeah. I remember... Um, I know like here at Providence, when people leave and malign me while they go, uh, then form groups who do it. Um, when people come to me then and say, you know what, God is just leading them somewhere else. I'm like, oh, okay, you, you really get it, don't you? In fact, I would say that the church is possibly the most dangerous place to be when in pain. So many times the church, like, we have a Christianity where you throw verses like magic spells at people instead of internalize the verse and be the truth of it to someone. We just don't get in. We, we have, we, we try, we, what, people don't always need an answer. People just need presence. Sometimes yours, and hopefully you're a carrier of the presence as you just stand there. I remember one time I was uh, called to a scene of a suicide at Reet. People were crying, and I walked in with Calvin Brain, and we just stood there, supplying strength without a word in the midst of carnage. And that is more what the church looks like, my friends. But you don't always have to live under the pressure to say stuff. When you live in the presence, the presence just has to be enough sometimes. So what pioneers need sometimes is they just need people who are strong, not who talk strong, to be around them. And Elijah gets to the place where he actually asks to die in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's by himself and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. When you get to that kind of dark place, guys, which is very real, um, I, I pray that in our day, God banishes pastoral suicides. Do you keep hearing about them? Guys, l l let me shed some light on this for you. As a pastor, um, they're not committing suicide because they don't have a good theological foundation. They're, they're taking their lives because they're unchampioned pioneers that have not been recognized that here's not right and here's not right and they need soul care and they need a raise and they need support and they need presence and they need Aaron and hers. They're just demanded from and complained about and left all the time. And the church does not get health. Health is not a part of our discipleship. Knowledge is. Well, <laughs> well if, if, how many of us want to be trained um, by a, uh, uh, a personal trainer who is seven billion pounds overweight, but knows a lot. You wanna be a person who knows how to implement knowledge. That's the kind of person you wanna be with. And the church does not get health. 
healing, Isaiah 61, ministry of Jesus. We've explained that away, and we're trying without all of it, but the health needs to be restored to the body again, my friends. And, and the miraculous and supernatural ways that it was intended and designed to be present. We've actually learned uh, an unspiritualized leadership from, from the business world. And the business world took biblical supernatural supernatural concepts and they took them and they divorced the supernatural from them so they would work in their non-supernatural business place and then their businesses boomed and the church said wow that's booming while my church is shrinking teach me how to do business and they give a load of non-supernatural business leadership to the church and it doesn't work in the church except to except to generate people that are lifeless because biblical church leadership is infused with the healing supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And the church doesn't get this. The church doesn't get the weight of a pioneer at all. Listen, when a person fights darkness for a living, um, when the person does not put up with old bondages that they see in their town, when the person has to live with the weight of, of the opinions of, of many powerful people, that gets heavy. You know, like, I got to get out of here. There's a, a story about a, a, a pump in a desert. You know the story? I've heard this. I've never seen one myself. I've never been to the Sahara or the whatever. But I heard there's a, a, there's, there's, this is such a thing that there's an old school pump like this in the desert. But the pump needs moisture. There's a sponge in there, and the, the sponge has to be moist, uh, wet, to, to actually pump the, the water that's beneath it. And so when you come upon this pump in the desert and you're usually, you need a drink really bad, there's a jar of water with the pump and there's a, a sign on the jar that says, don't drink this. Pour it down the pump and then you'll be able to pump freely. And most of us, we, we come up to the, I'm not doing that, I'm saving my own skin. And then we, we ruin the chances for everybody else. But a pioneer says, you know what? I'm operating crazy, lion-hearted, brave-hearted faith here. I'm pouring the water down the pump so not only I, but others can drink freely of it. Do you know that you're a pioneer when you have the faith not to drink, but to pour? And then people will come and drink from the fountain that you created and never know your name. And for a pioneer, that's okay. That's okay. They'll say, who created this path that we're walking on? If they even recognize that there is a path. That's a pioneer. Oh. Well, I'm glad there's just a path. I want to give some advice to, to pioneers quickly because I know I'm over time, but I think you need to hear this. You're free to go if you need to. But I want to give some advice to pioneers in the churches who contain them is let your, let your best pioneers sleep and give them meals and make, it, make sure they're well taken care of. Pray for angelic appearances to these pioneers. I just get that because that's what the Bible says. Are we cool with what the Bible says? When, when Elijah was ready to end it all, it says he lay down and slept. There's number one. Let him sleep. Don't have 6 a.m. meetings. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I think there's this legalism that says I got to get up early. I got, people need to see what, that I'm busy. <laughs> That's how a non-pioneer dog, some friends, are calling you out. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him. He's sleeping and in his rest, that's when angelic visitation comes. He touched him, and the angel says, arise and eat. Let him eat. Your health is important. Do you know, 
sometimes the, the, the Bible isn't so complex as our theologies have made it. You know, sometimes what you need when you're in a dark place and when the enemy is after you is you, you, you need, you need the, the, the safety of a shelter. Here, and I would say it's not the tree, it's the angel. They will say, sleep, eat, I've got this. Eat, sleep. A good meal goes a long way. There's, there's something spiritual about just eating. Take a drink, take a rest. And he ate and drank, and then he lay down again to sleep. He needed it. <laughs> this isn't slothfulness or laziness. This is kingdom working. Verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time after he had slept. Let him sleep and touched him and said, arise and eat. Wow, let him eat. Guys, do you see the simplicity of this? And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of, of the food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel said, I want you to refresh because you're about to meet with Jesus. You're about to meet with God. So I, I want to I say that, that meal ministry is important. Do you know we started, uh, Marcel calls it a stork ministry. Aaron Rash leads this. When you have a baby at Providence, we, we want to give you meals. So let us know that you had a child because we want to fill your house with, with some quesadillas. <laughs> let us know. We want to be that safe place for you. Um, the, uh, the, have, you ever, have you ever thought that maybe what people need is they don't need Providence in a bag. They need to, an invitation to, to dinner Maybe just, have you ever found someone you didn't know on a Sunday gathering and said, you're coming to my house today? Ah, I'm not taking no for an answer. Coming over, we're having quesadillas. And then we're gonna hunt cats. <laughs> and I promise you, you'll make a, a great friend. If the man has a beard, he's a friend for life, I'm telling you, after that cat hunting thing. But do you know who, who are perhaps the, under the most brutal attack and are the greatest pioneers in the church? Are our worship leaders. You know that? We don't see them. Worship leaders don't lead songs that we can sing about God. Worship leaders don't pick songs that are full of great theologies, even though they are, but that's, that's actually not number one thing. Worship leaders pioneer the move of God in the heart of people. And if, if you need a, something biblical to back that up, it's just it's as simple as Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in jail in a dungeon in, the, in chains. And what do they do? They don't complain about the Roman government. They sing and worship songs, hymns, praises to God. And actually what happens is, is Paul and Silas are pioneering a freedom movement for other prisoners and for the jailer himself and his whole family. Chains fall off in worship. Doors burst open in worship. And worship leaders are pioneering move. Many of us come here not wanting to encounter God, and then our worship leaders encourage us to do so. And so they, they need perhaps the, the, the most encouragement, but they get perhaps the most attack next to me. So I, I, I just wonder how many people are here, can you be honest for a moment? How many people, you've, uh, you have a pioneer calling on your life, but you feel alone in your endeavors? And you just feel like, I don't even know if people see the trails that I'm blazing, but Jesus, I'm blazing them anyway. Guys, that's not how it's supposed to be. 
We're supposed to recognize you and release you, not find out later that you're despairing because you've been in it alone. So I would just say, if you have a, like, a pioneer calling on your life, you believe that God wants to use you as, as a pioneer to go places, to take the gospel, to take the kingdom to places that it has never been or that it, where walls need to fall and you are willing to blow the trumpet at them. I wonder, could you just raise your hand for a moment? Could you do that? And the people that are around you, listen, you better touch them. Hold up the, right now. I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying, I'm, this is not figurative Disney right now. This is, if there's someone around you, just put your hands on them and let them feel the touch of support around them. And I just want you to call out to God for their life, just for a moment, just for a moment. Just, just pray to God over their life and into their life. This might be the first word of encouragement they've experienced in days, weeks, months, years, ever. So God, just bless these pines. Bless these people with the courage to blaze trails. Bless them, God. Just out loud even. Just, just, just do this. Let them hear it. Let them hear it. They've got to hear words to be encouraged. Okay? And just pray over them. God, just, we just hold up their arms right now. God, thank you that you're putting callings on their life where, they're, where if we would follow them, they'll take us to places. They'll advance your kingdom into places that we would never be able to get on our own. God, so, so we, want their, we want them to be blessed. God, I just pray you put it on some of our hearts right now who we're making a meal for, who we're having over, who we're going to let rest, who we're going to bless in some other capacity. I pray, that, I pray, God, that it would be hard to be missed at this body and this family. And I just pray for encouragement, encouragement over your people and into your people, God. I pray that lies, Jezebel lies, would not land in hearts. Evil promises would not land in hearts. God, we just, just pray your truth. We pray anybody who is struggling uh, with even the thoughts to end it, we pray against that right now. You were, you were created for life and not for death. So God, I just pray that you open hearts to life and you open hearts to hope and that you fill people, God, with, with new brave heart-like courage and dreams. I'm taking York. I'm taking back my neighborhood. Taking back my borough. Taking back my state. Taking back my government. I'm taking back my family. Taking back my school. I will not complain at it anymore. I'll pioneer it. So God, I just pray this into the hearts of us. Can, can all of us stand right now to our feet? Just, Heavenly Father, we all stand as pioneers that you're calling into a season of, of advancement, advancing your kingdom. And God, we pray that you supply all the courage that we need uh, to stand up to injustice, to walk straight into darkness, to walk into our, uh, uh, walk into your word and your presence in these days and soak it in so we have something of power to deliver when we get in these places. So I pray for new levels of intimacy for your church and in your people. And I, I pray for new testimonies of power being unleashed as a result. We bless you, God. We praise you. We welcome your move in these days. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.